Independence Carry Talk YA now presents Muse of Nightmares Part 1 from the Strange the Dreamer series by Lonnie Taylor. back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we read uh, the second book in the Strange the Dreamer series by Lonnie Taylor. We started The Muse of Nightmares and we read up to section three. Half the time we forget to say where we read to, so I'm really impressed. <laughs> yes. Good job. Ten points to Gryffindor. I miss having people who get references like that around i feel like everyone gets that reference no i work with like all older people who don't read books and i feel like they all think i'm really nerdy and i haven't even been especially nerdy (laughs) yeah you should get harry potter i'm sorry you old people (laughs) get with it i sent you that list of harry potter tweets or something the other day i was really amused by that made me laugh so hard some of them were so good I want to, like, read them to my kids immediately, but I guess I should wait until they're, like, Hogwarts age so that they can experience it the same way. Or until I have kids. (laughs) Well, yeah, and that. I know. I'm going to read them to them when they're, like, three years old and they don't get anything. (laughs) Have you seen the beautiful, like, picture book copies of the Harry Potter? They are gorgeous. I think all three of us have them, my sisters and I. We like each needed one. Oh, you, all of you have a full copy of. Well, I don't. I don't have them, but I think they only have a couple of them out so far. I think I only have one. But okay. Anyways, I don't know. Anyway, how did we go off on Harry Potter? It's been a while since we've done a Harry Potter tangent. So that's very true. And also, you just say Harry Potter, and like I could go for five hours. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a slippery slope. Fair enough. But that's not the book we read this time. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Muse of Nightmares. It does have ghosts and magic and... That's about it. (laughs) Some people with questionable morals or questionable, you're not sure if they're good or bad. Yeah, the murky kind of hero. Yeah. Okay, where do we start? Okay, well, here's the thing. We have half a book left in this series. And for me personally, we didn't learn nearly enough in this half, in my opinion. No. It was a lot of good character stuff, but not a lot of good information revealing. No, like, we still don't know, A, what happens to the gods bond when they're taken away, after they have their gifts tested, and we don't know really how Laszlo ended up on the orphan cart with the monks. We know that the, the white eagle took him, but... But we know a little bit more about the White Eagle. Okay, yeah. Right? So tell me about Cora and Nova. What do you make of them? Well, I am intrigued by them. So they're sisters who live on a different planet, right? Rieva. That's the country. Or is that the planet? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, they. I, I feel like they live, like, through the tear in the sky, like, in a different yeah, realm. realm. Right. And that's where we learn a lot about how the Messerthum... Is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. I don't remember how to pronounce it. The anything. servants. 
Yeah, how, like, that's basically where they came from. So we're getting some of that origin story, but are they older? Are they pre this story, or is this happening in the same time? So I thought their story was like a prequel. Okay, I did too, but it took me a while to get there. Yeah, me too. Because I didn't realize at first that Scathus was the one coming to test them. Yeah, or I recognized the name, but I thought that was, I just, I didn't like realize that it would be the same person. I thought it was just like, oh, they, that's like a, you know, George of that region <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> Scathus the third. <laughs> I don't know. It took I don't it took me like way too long to realize that this was probably happening before they got there. Agreed. So is one of the f- people who is testing Cora Nova is that Isagold? I think so. Yeah, I think I think so. It's like it's those six gods that are coming and doing all this stuff with these people. But it's weird because being chosen by the gods is an honor in this planet or in this realm. Yep. And Cora and Nova, their mother was taken, we learned that, and they have been hoping and praying that the gods would return and take them and turn them into gods. In part just because their life sucks otherwise. It really does. Ugh, that butchering scene. Yeah, being a woman in general doesn't sound that much fun down there in this cold place where you cut up animals and get sold to a husband. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, they don't seem particularly close to their father or stepmother, They both sound awful. Yep. And really all they have is each other. Yeah. And we learn when Cora is tested, this thing called an astral pours out of her, and that's the white eagle. Wraith, I guess her name is. Yes, who we've seen a little bit more again, and we think that, well, Laszlo thinks the Wraith is the one who took him from... So we did, we learned, we got a couple more hints about stuff, right? Yeah, we did. We got... So, because we also learned that the Ellens remember a boy who went missing or something. Yes. So, like, something happened differently for him than for the other babies that left the nursery. And why? Do we think it's because of his gift, how he has Scathus' gift? I think so. I think it – and I think something must go down between Cora and Nova because I don't think they're necessarily – I don't think the Wraith was one of the six gods who were over Weep. Right. Right? Right. But – I forget which one's which. But the other sister, isn't that the secret keeper? I think so. Okay. So either they had a falling out and maybe Cora was working against them or else they were still somehow working together. But somehow, like, at least it seems like something went down. Between them. Yeah. Because Cora (laughs) is the one who we see testing the babies in the Citadel, right? Yeah. Oh, did I get the names wrong? No, 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 that's right. Yeah, you got them right. So, uh, yeah, it's just like we got a little, some little hints, but we still have half a book left, but it doesn't seem like very much for it to all tie together. Yeah, but but you're right. We have a lot of questions. If anything, we've gotten more questions. We've only gotten half information. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of, I'm ready to learn the answers, to be honest. But but it is a little bit less heartbreaking because we've had some... Lovely moments between Laszlo and, oh my goodness, what's her name? Sarai. Sarai. See, this is the problem. I didn't write down (laughs) names again. I'm like, and the ghost girl. The ghost girl. (laughs) 
We did have some lovely moments between them, but we also had some pretty brutal moments, like when they finally come together, and then Minya makes Sarai bite Laszlo's lip off. Yeah, uh, that's true. That was shocking. Yeah. I'm kind of liking her more, though. Minya? Yeah. She's really fascinating. I'm, I'm liking her, too. And I guess, I mean, I feel like I kind of was defending a little bit her before, like, the fact that she had been through this terrible thing, and, like, yeah, she remembers it in the rest dome. But it, it's so interesting to be able to jump into her dreams and yeah. see, I mean, she really was so strong, and there's still even some questions about what really went down there, but basically the Ellens, she completely invented the Ellens to help raise those, the other mm-hmm. four kids. Like, their whole personality is from her controlling them completely and you see her she's not just angry at the people of weep for killing like she's she's just like an angry person because she's just had a rough life like even when they were there her friend got taken away from her and all of her other friends I mean we knew she was keeping her ability hidden but it's not like she had a lot of love for the gods who were slaughtered not at all and like to be the only one who's living with that secret, that has mm-hmm. to be so frustrating. Like, she's with three other people who, or four other people who just don't get it, you know? Like, they were babies yeah. when it happened, and, like, they can never understand what she went through. Yeah. And then also there's this kind of, like, strange horror of having these two Ellens care for them when we learn through Sarai, you know, dream-stalking her, that they hated them, and they were not good people to the gods bond when they were actually alive and Mm -hmm. so then to have to like watch them care for you and like take on a nurturing role when they were horrific in real life like that has to be traumatic yeah well especially if she's the one who killed them yeah which is kind of what we're thinking right now so yeah i mean i just my heart breaks for her too and i do hope that we're able to bring her around to a more um forgiving or peaceful place but I also like in the same way that I understand why the people of weep are freaking out and Mm -hmm. angry and stuff like I mean they've just everyone's been through so much Mm -hmm. and it's maybe not fair but it's also like that you you do have to put those emotions somewhere and if you don't have a healthy way of dealing with it like it makes sense I understand I don't agree with but I understand you can see both sides and you see a lot of people, like, trying to come to terms with that. Because even, um, what's his name, Ruza, mm-hmm. Laszlo's friend, he was, like, at the end, he was kind of musing, like, Laszlo is a god's bond. Laszlo is my friend. These two truths cannot exist together in my mind. Yeah. Or he's, like, they're, like, two people to me instead of yeah. the same person. Yeah. But he somehow has to find a way to reconcile that because they are both true statements. And he just, like, can't deal with that. Yeah. But you're right. We only have half a book left. And yeah, I've got a lot of questions and there's a lot of, yeah, there's just a lot going on. And I really just don't know how they're going to deal with Minya because right now she's drugged, like she's asleep, which honestly, Ruby, that was a great solution. Yeah, I love that. And Sparrow. It was Sparrow's idea, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. But yeah, Ruby had to pull it off. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's a great plan, but it's not a long-term plan. Like, they can't just keep her in a, you know, in a coma forever. No. Um, But I liked the part where they said, you know, Laszlo was caught between that, those two impossible places where he was like, I can either save Sarai or I can save Weep. 
Mm-hmm. But he was he eventually realized we can't save either of these people unless we save Minya. Like we have yeah. to save Minya first. Yeah. I just don't know how that's gonna happen. Well, at least they can get into her dreams. Like I feel like there has to be something there. Yeah. And I'm also so- I'm still curious to see Errol, what's his name? Oh, Errol Fane. I love him. Yeah, and get more of his story or, or or maybe see more of Minya's story but getting more detail about what really did go down for the carnage right because I feel like it, there's more to it than we know right now still I agree and especially since like Sarai can now go into Minya's dreams but at the same time she's like these are dreams like dreams do not always have truth to them like they're kind of the strange workings of a six-year-old mind like what she remembers yeah. But it's better than nothing, and, like, that's where she learns about the Ellens, how they weren't really great people. They were... Well, and, we, and we've and we liked the Ellens, so yeah. when you find out that's actually basically portions of Minya's personality, or, what, like, I mean, like, that's her, mm-hmm. 100%. It's sort of also interesting to think about, like, there's more to her than she even is letting herself be right now. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. Like, no, she really true. does love and care for her siblings. Just she expresses it weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like survival instinct almost. Like, yeah. she's doing what she has to survive, and that's all she knows. And she physically can't do anything else. Like, yep. she's unable to come to peace or try and talk with the humans because of what she's been through. Yep. So do we think that the god spawn, once they were tested, were killed? I mean, that was your theory last week, right? Yeah. And I was a little bit skeptical last week, but I have I think I've basically been using that as my working theory ever since you suggested it while reading, and I don't have any reason to disagree with you yet. And the Ellens were the ones killing them? I sort of think the Ellens might have tried to turn on the babies, maybe when the like whole rebellion thing happened. Oh, because they and were always when, to begin with. Yeah, and maybe that's when Minya protected the babies mm-hmm. and killed them and got who she could out because I don't know how she knew it was going to happen like why would she even go to hide right and she was like do you want to die too yeah and the timing didn't quite work out so yeah maybe you're right maybe the Ellens did turn on them first and started killing people killing killing the kids Ugh. or at least that's I don't know yeah I don't know I mean it's it's all very dark it is <laughs> which is then funny because we have these moments of like extreme beauty and lightness with Laszlo and Sarai it's almost not hard to read them because that's the wrong thing but it's it's like it's um first of all it's one of the more like we don't have we have we've read a lot of romances but we haven't read a lot of like intimate moments that much mm-hmm. or at least not like these are more like drawn out but to your point it's a lot about like the innocence and the like anticipation and the mm-hmm. wonder around it so it's not like dirty or anything but it it right. does like sometimes I'm like reading it and I'm kind of like there's all this other stuff going on like I feel guilty for like being in this like beautiful moment yeah. right now <laughs> or even like when we learn about um I like that we learned a little bit more about Errol Fane and Azarine and how mm-hmm. they met they were both kind of like part of the resistance and they were training in secret to learn how to fight I love that yeah ah, and then we get like those five days that they spent as husband and wife and that's all they had before Errol Fane was taken away it was just like their love story is like so tragic yeah but like so it's it was just like so beautiful too at the at the time when they were like I want to spend time with you before I'm taken and it's just like yeah oh. knowing the reality 
of the world they were living yeah. in at the time. And then also, again, and we've talked about this a little bit, but being there really only were a couple handful of everyone knew what happened, you know, like like knew in a like knowledge sense. But there's only a handful of people down in Weep who like remembered the actual experience of being there, mm-hmm. you know, who didn't have their memories cleared. And like for both of them to like go through that and you have to live with the memories. Just again, this whole kind of, yeah, this um, partnership too. And I think they talk about in the book. You know, he, like, saved the whole town, except he didn't get what he wanted most out of all of it, right? Like He, he couldn't save Azarine. Basically lost himself yeah. and his love. I mean, in, in some ways, lost the relationship, even though he helped all mm-hmm. these other people in the whole town. And, like, and, and their love was so pure at the beginning, too. And, like, when you learn about their courtship, mm-hmm. it just made me really hope that they can eventually come together again and like reclaim everything they lost and like be together i want that more than anything yeah so do you want to hear another theory that i have yes okay i think that thion is going to end up with rusa oh yes i agree (laughs) it's a little obvious but i liked whenever he was like going to help him in the library and he was like checking his appearance before he left yep yeah i like that too and when he just got like the first aid kit and stuff yeah because <laughs> he didn't know like men's hands could be soft enough to <laughs> blister from just pulling rope and they're kind of one of those like they don't like each you know like i i always like one of those they're both in denial that they even are a little bit attracted to each other right now even yeah. though they both are a little bit attracted to each other right now <laughs> agreed it just took me a long time to figure out who thion was going to be with because i figured he would end up with someone but i really wasn't sure for a yeah while. yeah i agree I didn't really see it coming until all of a sudden it was there. And I loved him, um, like, the banter that he had with, what was her name? The climber lady. Yeah. <laughs> Don't what you like my names for everybody? Calixte. Yeah. Calixte. Yeah. Whenever she was, like, asking him if he was a maiden. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, it's cool to see Thion kind of grow where he like finally begins to regret that he didn't bother learning the language and like that he didn't bother trying to get to know people like he always thought everyone was so below him mm-hmm. and now he's just left with this ignorance like he's left in this state of ignorance and everyone else has kind of made friends and like assimilated and he's left out really and it's because of his own arrogance and he's like finally beginning to realize that. Well, and you even see him, you know, when he set aside the book because he thought Laszlo would like it and stuff and, like, mm-hmm. barely admitting to himself that he's even... Like, it's funny because even though he doesn't like Laszlo <laughs> officially, he does have, like, a... He doesn't have any other friends sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah it's funny to see him come around. He's drawn to him in a way. Yeah. Even though he doesn't... Maybe doesn't care for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm enjoying seeing him grow and I'm excited to see that develop even further. Um... What did you research this week? Okay, so... Mine's super weird. <laughs> okay, first my dad sent me an article about dad jokes. <laughs> yes. And so I read that article, but there is something in there about, like, the dangers of dad jokes. So I looked up, there's dangers. this... It's called Witzel Sucht. <laughs> nope. That's not English. Witzel, Witzel Sucked. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. It's a, I think it's a German word. It's a condition. Okay. Um, oh. Or in German, it means addiction to joking. Um, <laughs> but basically, 
it's an actual neurological disorder that's really rare, but if you've had like a injury on the right side of the frontal cortex of your brain, you may develop it. And that's where our sense of humor lives in the brain. (laughs) So people who have, who have this, they find their own jokes especially hilarious, but have a lot of trouble understanding other people's jokes. And for some reason, I like went off on this whole thing where I was like reading all about this condition. And then I was, I don't know. Anyways, but there was this article in general that I started with that my dad sent me was about how, um, like why dad jokes have developed and how great they are for the parent-child relationship, especially for dads who will try and bond with their kids and don't want to be, like, aggressive or inappropriate. Like, humor is kind of that safe zone, Mm -hmm. and so that's why, I don't know, it's, like, really good. And then also, a lot of dad jokes involve kind of, like, puns or, you know, dual meanings of words and things like that. And I was talking Mm -hmm. about how that, the same way that Basically, like, the aha moment of discovery, if you, like, that you hear about all the time, you, like, experience a mini version of that every time you hear a pun and understand it. So, I don't know. I was just reading a little bit about that. But then my real research was about evacuations. So, after Laszlo finds out he's a god and moves the wings of the citadel above the town of Weep, and they see one of the gods fall from the sky and realize there's been some up there the whole time, basically Weep loses its mind and everyone leaves town with like beds in the streets and like you know it's just kind of chaos and they move down river where they've always thought about moving but never have but yeah so I was looking up like what should you do if you need to be evacuated and also just how do we plan for evacuations of large cities because like we saw in this case, there's like congestion in the streets and it can be dangerous and yep. stuff like that. And um, a lot of times for hurricanes or like the wildfires and stuff, I was kind of looking up what do we do to safely evacuate cities or large areas, large places. That's um, super, that's really interesting because I lived for a year in Salerno, Italy, and uh-huh. it's within the um, danger zone of Mount Vesuvius. Oh. And mm-hmm. so when I lived there, I was just so curious. I was like, okay, what is the evacuation plan like if this volcano decides to explode? And I had some friends who lived in Pompeii because it's pretty close. And I was just like, like, what are you going to do? Like, what, what's the plan? And none of them had a plan. They were all just like, eh, if it goes, it's my time. And I was like, that is not a plan. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? And, and I... I read that the evacuation plan that they have in place is based off of the last time that it erupted, which is in the 1600s, where it had like a third of the population and no cars. So I was like really concerned about like what I was going to do if this volcano. So did you have your own plan? Yeah, I did actually. And my plan was I was going to walk to Rome. (laughs) It's not a good plan. Do you you have a good map or at least know which way to start walking? Yeah, exactly. That's all I had. Okay. And I had, like, a little backpack that I had that had, like, emergency supplies in it. Well, I actually, I found this one article. It was called Escape from Chicago. How long would it take to evacuate? And it was about, like, what if we needed to get, this is from 2016 or something. It said, what if we needed to get all 2.7 million people in Chicago outside the city limits? Like, how long would it possibly take? And I guess, so 50 of the deadliest disasters in U.S. history were experienced in Chicago. Whoa. So it's not crazy to think something could happen there. But I guess 
The city has a plan, or they have two plans. There's the Chicago Emergency Operations Plan and the Central Business District Evacuation hmm. Plan, but they're not public. Okay. So this article that was trying to, like, evaluate what would happen, like, didn't really have a lot of actual information to go off of. But there was one estimate that was trying to say you could evacuate it in, like, three hours. And this what? article was basically, like, BS. There's no way that's yeah. possible. <laughs> like, even 12 hours would be, like, a huge stretch if they have some crazy good plan. It takes, like, a half that's hour to evacuate actually... a building in a fire drill. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and actually, so I was reading this other article that was about you know, how to safely evacuate other cities. And this one was specifically talking, I think it was about Hurricane Irma down in Mm -hmm. Florida. Um, But so like some cities, especially places where hurricanes hit, have evacuation plans, but it's not even always clear if you should evacuate. Like there's a bunch of debate when Hurricane Harvey hit about in, um, was that Houston Mm -hmm. or something? Or I don't know, about like if they should leave or not. And like, I think the mayor said one thing and the governor said something else. And like, I don't know. So basically what you want to do is you, you need enough clearance time. They call it clearance time. And that's how long it takes people to leave an area based on the local road networks. So then you have to add in additional hazardous conditions. So in the case of a hurricane, oh, yeah. for example, when there's like tropical force winds, it's not safe for people to be out on the roads. And you look at how far those winds would, like, precede the hurricane. And, like, let's say it took 24 hours to evacuate the Florida mm-hmm. Keys, but the tropical force winds might hit two days before the hurricane hits. You'd need, like, you'd need to decide three days before the hurricane came that you wanted to evacuate. Mm. But that might be before you even know if you're going to have a hurricane. Or yeah. so, you know, like, typically, yeah. So... There's a lot of, like, how to reduce chaos. It may not actually be to evacuate. It may be how do you, like, not evacuate everybody or whatever. But emergency planners do come up with evacuation routes and different zone maps for different parts of the country. And they have, like, hotlines that you can call to get people out safely. And um, one of the things they were saying with Hurricane Irma, though, was that there were sort of smaller sections of Florida that were evacuated, hmm. but a lot of people could even stay in the same town they were in. So if you were in, like, oh, okay. an, like the area that wasn't safe versus the area that was safe, people may, like, go spend some time with family or friends. They didn't necessarily, yep. like, have to leave Florida. But the other thing you have to worry about is even if whatever you plan for, there's also this element of, like, hysteria that comes across yeah. groups of people. So maybe you only need... I don't know, X number of people to evacuate, but what if Y number of people actually try to evacuate and then the roads get... And I feel like that it would be worse in places like Chicago that aren't, that don't deal with this all the time. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. in Florida, I feel like a lot of people are used to hurricanes. Not that it makes it any easier to deal with, but I just feel like a lot of people have been through it before. So maybe they're more knowledgeable about like what to do and maybe have a, a calmer sense of like how to evacuate safely you know they, they've been through it before well and one of the things they said about chicago too is so many people don't have cars yeah so we i mean i guess apparently there are these two plans but this the article i was reading was like i don't even know how you address getting people out of the city in public transportation without them yeah without transport <laughs> yeah you're not taking an uber that's for sure yeah and there was a lot about how do you get the vulnerable populations out of areas, so like yeah. especially like the homeless, homeless or things like and, that. Um, yep. You know what do you do? So, 
there are some interesting things. I was reading all these articles and then I was starting to like kind of freak out. So do you want to know what you should put in your go bag? <laughs> oh, yeah. I had tuna fish in mine. Tuna fish and water and a first aid kit. Okay. That was my escape from Vesuvius uh, kit and my glasses. <laughs> so I was reading this article. I think this one was about the fires in California. You know how we had oh, yeah. tons of people who had to evacuate and a lot of people hadn't really thought about what they should grab. So Mm -hmm. first, every member of your family should have their own bag. So whether it's like a backpack or some kind of drawstring bag or whatever, each member of your family should pick their bag. And these are like things you should do before you need to evacuate. So you should look at all the photos in your house and other valuables, Mm -hmm. and you should basically store what you can digitally onto a cloud server and back it up on a flash drive. Same with mm. any important documents. So you should like scan and save yep. on the same flash drive or some other kind of something on the cloud, something you can access away from home, like your driver's license, your house deed, your will, insurance, Social medical security. records, passports, yeah. birth certificates, immunization, anything for your pet, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So once you have those kind of flash drives or wherever, once you've backed up all that important information and pictures and things, that is one of the things you should grab. The other essentials you should have include water. So you should plan on one gallon per person per day. Oof, that'd be so heavy. Yeah. So I think at least in this article, I mean, for the fire thing I was reading, a lot of people were like packing their cars and leaving. Mm -mm. Okay. So you're not like carrying. You're not carrying a backpack and walking to Rome. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, You want non-perishable food, first aid kit, flashlight, batteries, a few changes of clothes, diapers if you have a kid, pet supplies. And you, that was another thing that I read about a lot is like, don't forget your pet. Oh my gosh. Um, if you're being evacuated, like make sure. I would you... never forget Banjo. How would you forget your pet? <laughs> well, I think maybe some people will grab their pet, but forget all the things their pet the needs. Things they need, yeah. Especially when they're panicking. And then other yeah. people, I think, you know, if you... And maybe not dogs as much, but, like, I feel like a lot of people will leave their cats for a night or two if they go away, right? Yeah. Or, like, my fish, I don't, <laughs> but not... you know, I can give them. So, like, but there there could be a sense of, like, oh, I need, to, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to my grandma's house for two days and then I'll be back home. Like, even though you know, you may not. Like, I think there's just so much going on. It's just kind of a reminder that, I mean, I wouldn't forget Toby either because yeah. he's my baby. But we also don't have four kids and. That's true. Uh, three-story house or I don't know but so this is what the Red Cross says you you need so they still say the water one gallon per person per day is kind of the standard I've seen and you should have a three-day supply if you're evacuating and a two-week supply if you're like bunkering in at home wow same with food so you need non-perishable easy to prepare items so if you're evacuating pack three days worth and if you're and like you basically don't want to be stuck on the road you either want to get out in time or you want to be as safe as you can Mm -hmm. at home so yeah, you want the flashlight, you want a battery-powered or hand-cranked radio because that's where a lot of information will get shared. Yeah. Extra batteries, a deluxe family first aid kit, mm-hmm. at least seven days supply of all medications or medical items that you might need, especially in case of an emergency. So if you have, you know, some kind of medical need that, like asthma or something, or, mm-hmm. you know, an allergy, you want to make sure you have stuff for that too. A multi-purpose tool, sanitation and personal hygiene items, copies of those personal documents, but again... If you want to prepare ahead of time, just scan them all and grab your flash drive. Mm-hmm. Cell phone and charger. I forget my charger all the time when I'm actually packing. Family and emergency contact information, extra cash, emergency blankets, and maps of the area. 
So again, oh, if, that's smart. like, you know, the internet goes down or your phone dies, you have stuff. And don't forget stuff for your pets, like their food bowl and, and their extra favorite food. Blanket. And same with your babies and your glasses. So if you're wearing your contacts, grab your glasses <laughs> or grab extra contacts or both. I, I did have that. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I hope we never have to do this. They also suggest matches, rain gear, towels, work gloves, extra clothing, hat, and sturdy shoes, plastic sheeting, duct tape, scissors, household liquid bleach. What? Are you burying a body? I might be mixing up my, I know, (laughs) entertainment items, which I think especially if you have kids, you might want to grab some books. Grab Harry Potter, even if they're three. Deal with three days without blippy. Come on. So yeah. So I'm going to go pack my evacuation bag after this, just in case. Okay, bye. (laughs) What did you research? I researched people who fell in love with ghosts. What? (laughs) This is a real thing. Okay, let's hear it. So the official word for people who fall in love with ghosts is called spectrophilia. Okay. And... So is that different from staying in love with, like, so did Laszlo fall in love with a ghost or did he fall in love with someone who then died and now he continues to love them as a ghost? The second one. Okay. Yeah. So this is slightly different. Right. Okay. So spectrophilia is when you are romantically or sexually attracted to ghosts. Like in theory or in? Well, I mean... They don't really have a physical presence, so it's it's kind of like it kind of derives from the idea of like a succubus or an incubus. If you've ever, <laughs> not that you've experienced that, but if you've ever heard of that, mm-hmm. um, so like a succubus is a demon or evil spirit that takes on a, a female human form and seduces men. Okay, and then an incubus is like the male form, but there are also um, beliefs where a succubus and an incubus are actually just the same demon and can just shift their sexes. But the idea of that is that, like, so the succubus mates with a, a male, a, like a man, to take their semen, and then the incubus seduces women and uses that semen to impregnate women. That's, like, the whole legend. So it's actually men and women who don't know each other. It's, like, basically... The conveyor between those two yeah, humans? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So they're like evil spirits who like work what? together. This to... is weird, Marissa. Yeah, I told you it was weird. I told you it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> this is just so par for the course for me. But then I started researching these people who actually believed that they were in romantic, monogamous relationships with ghosts. Okay, I'm fascinated. Tell me more. Okay, so there was a woman, who, her name was Amethyst Realm. She's in England, and she's 27 years old, and she met and fell in love with a spirit when she and her partner were in Australia. So she was with someone and then met this ghost? Yeah. She was with a fiancé, actually. Um, she insists that the ghost followed her back to England And she said she started to feel the presence of a supernatural being in her spare bedroom. And she wasn't afraid of it. Um, She was actually attracted to it. And she decided one evening that she was going to 
make advances to the spirit. So she like put on lingerie and she just sat and like waited. And she said that she felt like she was dropping off to sleep, but then she insisted that she had a sexual encounter with this spirit. <laughs> and eventually she said it came so often. <laughs> it, <laughs> sorry. She said it it arrived so often to her bedroom that her fiance eventually moved out on the grounds that she was having an affair. I was going to say, so did she tell, like, how did this, I'm curious if you're in a relationship already. I mean, that does sound very affair-like if you're going to just sit around in lingerie in your room and wait for a ghost to come. Yeah. And also, like, what does it look like for the flesh and blood fiance? Like, are you watching your partner? Like, what is she doing during this encounter? Yeah, is he there? Or yeah, are they there? Just he said yeah, that he did yeah. see a shadowy figure of a man through the bedroom window. Why didn't they just both move? Because she was already in love. I think she was like infatuated with him, with this spirit. Okay. And so she said she she said that she was in a relationship with this particular ghost for three years before they drifted apart. But she said that she's had sexual encounters with at least 15 ghosts, including one-night stands. And it's gotten to the point where she prefers ghosts to flesh-and-blood men. Like, she prefers to be in a relationship with a ghost rather than an actual man. I'm curious, like, like imagine we're back at my bachelorette party and we're, like, going around (laughs) the room and you're meeting my friends. And it's like, oh, yeah, my husband's da-da-da and, like, my boyfriend so-and-so. And and then it's like, oh, what does he do? And it's like, well, actually, he's dead. He's a ghost. He's actually here. I can't imagine. Yeah. Fifteen one-night stands or, well, fifteen encounters. Yeah. And she said that they're more sensual and she has a better connection with them. Is it just a sexual connection? she just can't see them. Like, does she... She said there's just... She said that this, the sex goes beyond physical. It's, like, more of a deeper spiritual connection. But, like, does she... Do they ever, like, just watch Netflix together? Or do they just... <laughs> Netflix minus the show. <laughs> I have no idea. I have so many questions. I know. Also, she's 27, and she's already had 15 encounters with ghosts and a fiancé. Her, her life yeah. is fascinating to me. But she said that, um... Okay, so get ready for this. Okay. So she met a new spirit. Uh-huh. And then nine months into their relationship, she and the spirit were hiking. So I guess they do do other things. They were hiking one day, and the spirit asked her to marry him. Um, she said this was the first time she had ever heard his voice. She said there was no going down on one knee. He doesn't have knees, but I heard him speak, and she could actually hear his voice, and it was beautiful and deep and sexy. And... So they're making plans for a pagan hand-fasting marriage ceremony. She's choosing a ring. I was really nervous because you said something about nine months after she met him that you were going to say that she gave birth to a spirit baby. No, but she does want to have his baby. Is that possible? I mean, does she think that's I possible? Don't, I, I don't know how that's going to work. Are these? Does she believe these are like ghosts who lived and died? Like, Does she know much about their when they were alive? Or does she just think they're other kind of spirits? So that's a good question. So I don't really know about Amethyst, but there was another woman whose name was Amanda Tiege from Ireland, and she married the ghost of a 17th century Haitian pirate named Jack Tiege's. Okay, <laughs> if I was going to marry a ghost, I would definitely marry a pirate ghost. Absolutely. 
<laughs> a pirate prince? Come on. That's all I've ever wanted. Sorry, James. So she knows a little bit more about him. Um, they married in international waters where it is legal to marry a spirit. But she said the ceremony was not ideal because of choppy waters. <laughs> wow. This is not so... The thing that's kind of crazy, though, is like... What did you Google? Okay. <laughs> you don't want to know. You don't <laughs> want to know. <laughs> it's just interesting because, like, she very much considers herself married to this ghost, but there's no, you know, there's no documentation, there's no birth certificates, um, so it's not, it can't be legally, legally recognized as a marriage, but, I mean, obviously for her, like, this is very real. Yeah, it's just, so, like... I'm still I'm so curious about the other people in their lives. Like, do other people know her husband or just trust that she knows her husband or just think she's crazy and no one else talks to her? She says a lot of people think she's crazy. I mean, I understand that. Yeah. But she says there are people who have open minds about it and are okay with it. Well, I think even if I was like, because again, I just, I am not necessarily a believer that there aren't ghosts as much as I think I'm just not necessarily super open. I don't think I'm going to have a ghost encounter until, like, I just feel like I'm not very in tune with that. I think we've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. So I'd be curious, like, maybe in theory I could get on board with it, but, like, do other people interact with this, her husband? I think. Like, are there other people who are like, yeah, I also see his spirit? I don't think they see him. Well, I don't know, because her, her actual fiance did. I think it's more just, like, she goes out, with couples and she has her spirit fiance with her and maybe there's just like an empty chair and she's just like talking to someone who you can't see that would be so interesting that's like when I had an imaginary friend yeah I mean and the whole thing about like fans she wants to have a phantom pregnancy with him and she believes that a phantom pregnancy is a real pregnancy but you have a phantom inside you rather than a real baby so maybe she would have a, a phantom baby Okay. So interesting. I wonder, like, if she... Oh, this is, this would be really fascinating. So if she believed herself to be pregnant, impregnated, let's say, by this by uh-huh. her husband, the ghost, I wonder if she would have physical responses, like if her stomach would swell, if she would start leaking milk, if she would start lactating. Like, that uh-huh. would be really fascinating to see. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so it's a little early to do this, but if you or someone you know (laughs) has a phantom boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or has had a phantom baby, please reach out to us. Please, please, please. We would love to talk to you. Because, like, yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm not discounting that, like, I I don't disbelieve her that she feels this is very real. It's just... um, and I, I totally believe that ghosts are real, but I've just never experienced anything like that, so. Yeah, I would just, I, like, the relating part would be so hard for me. It would be fascinating to hear from someone. So that was my research. <laughs> I'm still, like, mind blown about that. That is, but the funny thing is, I'm reading this book, and I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Totally, it could happen. They're having, yeah, this, this is, doesn't feel far-fetched at all. <laughs> but I guess it's because, and thank God, but, like, Sarai is, still has a physical form. Like, they both said that, like, nothing know, has changed, yeah. even though she's dead. Like, she still is exactly how she was before, which, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of weird that that's happening because it, it almost makes me feel like, okay, then why did she even die? Because if nothing's really changed, it just seems hard to believe that nothing would change. 
Well, and I still feel like there are some things that change. I think part of it is because they've already met in this dream world, so they... Yeah, that's true. You know, they never really actually, like, lived in the real world. So, like, being a ghost and being in a dream... Not too different. Yeah, might be kind of similar. But I do... I mean, you know, they talk about how, like, she can't... Or she can, like, imitate certain things but not do them except in the dream. But this isn't sustainable. Like, I'm glad they're having these moments. But, Mm -hmm. like, I still feel like at the end of the book, she's going to have to effervesce or whatever. Pass on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hopefully it's a more peaceful thing than what happened at the end of the last book but I can't imagine it's just like okay and then they lived happily ever after as ghosts and boy because eventually he's gonna age and die yeah and then what they just tether him to and I don't know they live forever as ghosts <laughs> I, I don't I don't even want that to happen even if I thought it could happen forever is a long time to spend with someone I think you'd get sick of each other <laughs> I do like how she can manipulate anything as a ghost. Like, she can just change her clothes and change her hair. And, like, any, if she can dream it, it can happen. Like, she gives them cake at one point, which I think was kind of cool. Although I loved the part both in the dream and, I think, with the ghost. And they were talking about, like, they couldn't get the taste of cake right. Like, they could make these yeah. beautiful-looking cakes. but They can make it sweet, but not much else. Yeah, like, without those experience, like, and it is kind of funny, I feel like dreams are kind of like that, like, they, on the one hand, they can be, like, wild and crazy and great, and on the other hand, it's like, you're, they're also sort of weirdly limiting, Mm -hmm. like, you can only, you know, you're, I don't know, the brain is You can only experience so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do we want to keep reading and see what happens? Yes, I do, except I'm also really sad for it to be over. I know, because this book is just, it's just so gorgeously written. And I know we talk about all, that all the time, but like. But I'm like constantly reminded and amazed again. I'm just, yeah, I just want to like. poetry. Yeah. I, she's just, Lonnie Taylor is just such, she's a goddess of writing. She is an absolute goddess. It's so fun to read. And again, I think the character development, like there's just, it has everything, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. But the writing is just very special. Mm-hmm. Do you have a dad joke for me? <laughs> Speaking okay, so of addicting is, dad jokes. This is from the... There were two in this article. Okay. Okay, well, here's one of them. I think we've might, maybe even told this one. I can't even remember because oh, no. sometimes I read so many dad jokes that then I like forget I which know, ones they I've actually said out loud. So a mushroom walks into a bar. The bartender says he can't serve him. The mushroom responds, Why not? I'm a fun guy. <laughs> Beware of your frontal lobe because you'll think you're funny, but you won't be. No one else will. (laughs) Oh my god, do you think that's what our dad jokes are like? Like, do you think people listen to them and are like, "Oh god, these are terrible"? (gasps) I think we give people many aha moments, and even if they're rolling their eyes, we bring joy to their lives. Good. Okay, I like that answer. That's what I think. That's what I got out of this. (laughs) I'm going with that. (laughs) That we're great dads. That's what I learned. If you want to tell us another dad joke, uh, you can get in touch with us by emailing us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. We'd love for you to follow us. Yep. And now you guys should all go pack your evacuation bags. (laughs) And if you're in Chicago, come find me because I have a car and we can do a carpool. (laughs) Get out super fast. Bring a map. (laughs) I'll bring canned tuna fish. I think you should follow a ley line. If you have to evacuate <gasps> Chicago, will you yes. please follow a ley line? It's along the red line. I've traveled it. And find a ghost friend. We'll wake a sleeping ghost. <laughs> what was that? Was that what it was? Sleeping, sleeping. Spirit? Well, find a, find a pirate. 
Yeah, Let's just combine together. everything. Okay. <laughs> and don't forget your duct tape to bury the body in your evacuation bag or whatever. <laughs> oh, man. Our lives are weird. Okay. Shall we? Oh, wait. Do we? Oh, no. It's... We still have another half book. Don't forget, do. for next week, we need to think of our fan name. Fan names. <gasps> oh, okay. I'll start thinking of that now. All right. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.